McNulty standing for anyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to Fear Forecast episode 108. Well, it's been a disappointing week for the Blues as the playoffs appear to be slipping away. Joining the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hi, Hugh. Another week of excellent results to reflect on, buddy. Nice to be here. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Things are starting to open up. You know, as we said last week, I've got a couple of things booked in for this weekend where I've not been working quite as hard so I can go out have a few beers and, well, you know, forget what's going on. It's beer garden life, right? It's all about beer gardens for the next, what, four weeks. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's a shame that apparently those uh, gas patio heaters are awful for the environment because I thought I could get one of those. I could stick them out of my garden. I could have the boys and girls over, get one of those lovely warm patio heaters going. But apparently the reason why everyone's got rid of them is they're destroying the environment. So, you know. Everyone watching Seaspiracy. That's what it is, mate. Everyone's getting a bit paranoid again. <laughs> <laughs> Off topic, straight away. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. First of all, we're going to review the game against MK Dons. Following on for that, we're going to review the game against Brett Pittman Swindon. Then we spoke to you guys. How are you feeling about Pompey's form? And we said, are oh, the playoff hopes still alive? Or are we now planning for next season? And then we had Tom on from the excellent Gas Cast to preview the game against the Gas at the weekend. Right, Andy, let's go. MK Dons. To be honest, yeah, I was hoping for three points in this game, as I suppose most Pompey fans were. I flagged it as the most difficult fixture that we had remaining. I still think that's the case, even though it was, it was a marginal win of 1-0, but it could have been a few more, really, couldn't it? Yeah, exactly. It looked like... On paper, the toughest test, barring potentially the Accrington games remaining in the season. And you have to say, when I mean, even looking at the fixture list before before the last two games, it was a game I had us taking a minimum of one point from. And again, we keep saying it comes down to small margins, and that's been the case for the last couple of games. But yeah, again, we walk away with no points. And... It's extremely frustrating because, you know, that the, the goal that we gave away was unnecessary. It came from an individual mistake. And there were little individual moments where you thought Pompey were actually opening up the MK Don's defence and, you know, creating those chances. But, you know, the, the run of the ball isn't quite going the way it needs to at the moment. And we're going back to back with that now. It's sort of con- consecutive games where that has been the case. And... After a while, you've got to say, well, actually, maybe we're doing something wrong here. You know, you can only put it down to to bad luck and chance for so long. 
over an extended period of time. So, yeah, very disappointing result. Got to say, sort of saw it coming because we discussed on the podcast before, me, you and Freddie, we looked at the matchup against MK Dongs. I flagged the fact that Charlie Daniels against Ethan Laird was a really poor matchup. Absolutely rapid pace from Ethan Laird on loan for Man United if you didn't watch the game. And there was a warning earlier on, wasn't there? When Ethan Laird blasts past Charlie Daniels, who takes it down for the most obvious yellow card you've ever seen in your life, which leads to that free kick, which cannons back off the bar. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to massage your ego too much, Hugh, but uh, yeah, you did literally, you pointed that out as potentially a matchup that was going to be extremely favourable for MK Dons in the game. And obviously it was it was a case of necessity that the Browns have unfortunately been missing out for the last couple of games. But yeah, the, the warning signs were there early. And unfortunately, I mean, as, as a coach or a manager, there's only so much you can do with the players you've got to negate bad matchups. And even, you know, with, with the knowledge in advance that that was going to be an area where Pompey were defensively quite, you know, vulnerable or frail, it wasn't enough to prevent it eventually yeah, costing us the game. As you said, the warning signs were there and they weren't able to do anything to, to counter that over the 90 minutes. But I think it's more than, in this game, it was more than just the defensive contribution of, of Charlie Daniels not working out. Because Ethan Lair was able to push forward so far on Charlie Daniels and we couldn't seem to pass the ball through into that obvious space where Ronan Curtis would be, it led to the Pompey attack being really unbalanced. So 46% of all our attacks went down the right-hand side of the pitch. You've got to say that Pompey look good when they go forward on both sides, can switch the play in this Cowley formation. And if you can't play wide triangles to one side and you can't play it out from the left and you have to go to the right, it makes everything very congested. And it means that this system of passing out the back doesn't work if you can only pass it through the right-hand side. Yeah, the, the idea of this passing out from the back is that, you know, you, you start by doing similar things each time, but then you've got options, right? So it's very difficult to counter because ideally you want to be balancing that threat. That's exactly, that's kind of the premise that the entire style of football is based upon. But if that starts becoming predictable and you're only looking, yeah, if you're only looking threatening on one side of the pitch, it becomes infinitely easier to, to counter and to, to line up against which is what seemingly pretty much what happened in this game and yeah I think you could well be right there Hugh that this was as an end result sort of a, a cumulative effect of us struggling on on the left hand side defensively and it leading to as well as you know us conceding on on that left side or as a result of an attack defending on the left side it also did lead to it really sort of nullifying the balance of Pompey looking forward. And we, I mean, if you look back across the season, we've looked most dangerous when, yeah, you haven't known where that's going to come from. I mean, in an ideal world, when everyone's fit, you've got, say, Jacobs on the left and Harness on the right. And on their day, both of those players are just, yeah, stunningly dangerous. And last couple of games, we've really been missing that. And you've, you've been able to sort of pinpoint in advance where we're, you know, really going to be, trying to target the opposition defence. And if we can identify that as fans, then, you know, opposition teams are who are infinitely more qualified than us and have more experience in the game than us are absolutely going to be able to identify it and then counter it, which is what's been happening. That, that is exactly what's happening 
it's too predictable going down one side. But you can only set the players up to do so much as a manager and with the squad you've got. And at the moment, I'm looking at the team and, you know, I feel a bit bad for Danny Cowley. I'm looking at the team and I'm thinking, there's not really much I could do to change this up on the pitch as an armchair supporter here with the, all the power of hindsight and all the other things you get for talking about football. So I, I just genuinely do feel a bit bad, but let's let's come to that later. Let's get back into the details of the match because the penalty giveaway again, Ethan Laird blasts into the box. Charlie Daniels doesn't need to bring him down, does he? No, I ensure. I know it's I know it's easier said than done. Commenting on this from my my comfy chair in my room, having my sort of rest evening, but that that penalty comes from a, a really neutral situation where you've got an attacking player directly facing a defending player from one side of the penalty box with the ball stationary. And that is kind of the the absolute bog standard training move. And, you know, how, how many times in, in a day or a week of training or a career are you, are you practised in dealing with that exact situation? And yeah, sometimes the attacking player is going to produce a worldie of a ball in or you know, produce an amazing piece of skill to completely do the defender, yeah. But, I mean, it's it's a position where you just shouldn't be giving a penalty away because that's exactly what the attacker is looking for. With the ball completely stationary, the attacker's got no real momentum behind his movement towards the defence. The best, sort of the best outcome for an attacking player then behind them doing something special is to buy a cheap penalty. And it was such a cheap penalty. It's exactly what the attacker's looking for. And you, you can see it coming a distance off. I mean, you're related to, to Pompey players of the past. You know, everyone who's listening knows sort of the Nathan Thompson swan dive. That's exactly what he's looking for in that position. And, and in this situation, it's exactly what the attacking player is looking for. He's looking for the defender to come in, make a rash challenge from a bit of a nothing, almost a nothing situation, and get a free shot of goal from 12 yards. And it's just such an unnecessary time to stick your foot in, to be honest with you. And I say that as the left back of my school B team, that, you know, I come from an extensive background of, of high-level left-back play, and you just don't need to stick a foot in there, mate. You don't. Yeah. Well said, Andy Daniels. I I, I, I literally think, though, looking at this, let's be honest, yeah, we, we spoke to the guys, we spoke to Liam from the MK1 podcast. We knew what to expect. MK Dons were lacking the ability to score any goals. They had Will Grigg up front, you know, massive injury problems before that. And and we, we, it doesn't work with him up front. And it didn't work. It was 1-0. I knew they cannoned a couple off the bar, etc. But actually, the difference was this individual mistake at the back on the defenders, giving the ball away, sorry, giving a penalty away. So it is fine margins, as we say, individual errors, all that sort of malarkey. But, at the end of the day, mate, MK Don's probably, you know, could have got a goal, but they're not a potent team. But what I would like to say is I think that they've, they schooled us a little bit on how you pass the ball out the back and how you press teams who do pass the ball out the back. I mean, I know possession stats aren't everything, but 59.5% possession um, against the 40.5% possession of what I'm looking in front of me, a pass rate success of MK Don's of 82% rather than 68% for Pompey. It's it's all these things that if you're going to be a passing possession team, you've got to be able to pass the ball with efficiency. I mean, they pass the ball a lot more than us, more passes. They move the ball quicker. 
and Pompey just looked a bit slow to try and get any of this going. You think looking back at the Ipswich first half, there was quickness, there was pace. It was it was all very fluid. Have they forgotten how to play like that, Andy? Have they run out of gas? Or, let's be honest, Jer, are the players just not good enough to play that consistently? That's the absolute buzz question, right? That's the absolute crux of the season in, in one question there. And it's a really difficult one to answer because... I don't see how we can come out and just say, oh yeah, the players aren't good enough. And obviously they're not performing at the moment, but I don't know how you can come out and say the players aren't good. They were top at Christmas. You don't, that's not luck. You don't get to be top after what, 22 games or whatever it was at Christmas or 23 games around New Year. That's that's not a coincidence. But at the same time, yeah, is, is it fatigue from accumulated games over a short period of time? But Every other team in the league is dealing with that, Hugh. Like there's, it's not as if Pompey are the only side that have got a, a congested season because of COVID. Every single team is playing 46 games in a shorter period of time than normal. And, I mean, Danny Cowley himself has come out and said, you know, lack of fitness is not an excuse. The fans will not accept that. And he's, he's exactly right because, you know, these are professional sportsmen who train six days a week as a minimum. And I, from the other teams I know about, I'm assuming they have a day off training after match day, but they'll, they'll train each other day of the week. So, you know, lack of fitness isn't an excuse. Fatigue isn't an excuse at this stage in the season because, yeah, MK Dons have played around the same number of games as us. So, yeah, it's the million-dollar question you've asked there. Are, are they not good enough? Is it a case that the the players, maybe some of them, their, their natural style of play doesn't fit into how the Cowleys want to play, which is certainly a... a I think a, a comment worth worth speaking about more later on. Yeah, it's a tough question to ask uh, to answer. And but I think if you look at the squads and sort of individual matchups, looking at sort of other players from similar positions in other teams, you'd probably say it's it's probably not a promotion squad potentially. And I don't want to sort of jump before the horse has bolted, although that's probably two different metaphors thrown into one sentence don't think that's a real thing um but you know it, the season hasn't gone but on on paper it, it's just not quite a promotion squad because there's too many individual mistakes you look at the other teams around us in the league or well the teams that are now above us in the league and i don't also i don't follow them as closely but i don't see as many areas of obvious exploitability as I do in the Pompey lineup, and I know we're injury hit as well, which is making a difference. But I, I feel like we're just so, so much more susceptible to individual mistakes. And we ask other clubs, you know, what, we, we talk to Tom, or we're about to talk to Tom, whatever tense I should be using here. We're about to talk to Tom about Bristol Rovers, and you know where potentially they're strongest, where they're weakest. And people normally name, you know, one position where they're potentially exploitable, where these teams we're about to play against are exploitable. But with with the squad we've got, when people ask that about Pompey, you name maybe three different positions at the moment. And it's, it's a lot of a pitch, isn't it, really, to have a, a potential weak point. Yeah, and, and we'll come on to that later. I don't even know why I threw that out quite yet, Andy. And it was a difficult question, but people let us know your thoughts at PO Forecast. Moving on to Scott Fraser, who's a player that, I like, I've me and Freddie highlighted him a year and a half, maybe two years ago as a player Pompey should go after. I was pretty surprised that he signed for MK Dons as well. No offence, lads, if you're listening to this show. 
he looked good again, didn't he? He got the penalty, but also he hit the bar. He's a player who, for me, fits naturally into that number 10 role. He links play up very well for them. He comes short, but he also plays off the striker and makes those runs into the box. He's sort of the player that I think, if you drop him into the Pompey team right now with a, a harness on one side, Curtis on the other, he's actually the sort of player that I think could actually work very well in the Cowley system. And you can see that in how he links up the play for MK and how he also helps press from the front. So I was pretty happy to see him substituted, to be honest, in the game when, when Scott Fraser gets taken off. And that just goes to show the MK Dons manager, maybe he thought he was worth substituting. Maybe he thought, you know what? We're going to close this one out. Let's give Scott a rest <laughs> for the end of the mid-table season of no purpose of going up or down. But, you know, let's not get him injured. Let's let's see the, let the fans see him again on iFollow. So let's let, him, let's let him jog off and come off the field. But going towards the end of the game, Jack Watmore, what a stupid challenge that was in the centre of the park. The, the other time, the other red card even, I, you know, I defended Jack. I didn't think it was a red card. I know some people think differently. I'm not convinced it was one leg, studs down, got the ball. This, on the other hand, was a lunge. And I'm sort of feeling like a little bit of a desperation sort of lost his head moment, Andy. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I agree with regards to the other red card as well. I think the, the club's appeal for the other red card, I it was unlikely to succeed because those red card appeals rarely go through until unless they're sort of an absolute horror show of a decision. But obviously that, that ban got upheld. And for me, this was a worse tackle. And I, I was genuinely a little bit surprised to see them appeal it. Uh, I guess at this point, you just, it's like football manager, you know, you just click, yeah, appeal, why not? Like, there's what's the worst that can happen here? It's a four game ban with five games left in the season, whatever, <laughs> yeah. why not? Um, but yeah, it's, there was no need for it. Again, I mean, it was a bit of a desperate lunge and you, you could say it sort of represented a lot of what was going on on the pitch then in terms of a, a general lack of composure. And again, we, we've talked before and we've heard about how <clears throat> how the Cowleys want it to be a almost choreographed dance on the pitch. And the, the last few games, they've really struggled to implement that in terms of the players on the pitch. And this, I think, was a really good example of that because that, that wasn't part of the choreography, you know, a, a, a completely unnecessary tackle. And, I mean, it's, it, it's really nice when you can sort of blame a referee and, you know, have a really good moan about a shocking referee performance, but that, you've got no real arguments, have you? I think we should save the arguments for when we've actually got a case to be made. It's, it was unnecessary, and I don't think you can argue with the decision, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not going to be doing Super League-style protests outside the FA for uh, or the EFL for not rescinding that red card, put it that way. But let's move on to the Swindon games. I think we've, we've dwelled on this enough, and I think we're going to get to some of the other topics on this. <sighs> Brett Pittman, really? And I know some of you people out there listening will be big Pittman fans, yeah. I'm not, right? I'm not a big Pittman fan. I, I think congratulations what he did before. You got applauded him for what he did for us in that season where he scored all those goals and was basically the focal point of the attack but for me it was time for Brett to move on and he looked pretty done I know he's got 10 goals now spoiler alert if you don't know who scored against Swindon but I mean this is a player who all the Pompey players know pretty well who were around the club Raggett obviously knows him as well playing at centre-back McGivory knows him in goal but Tom Naylor except I can go on forever they gave him so much space in the box to to turn his ancient legs around and unleash an absolute bullet into the corner. 
It's a good finish, wasn't it? I mean, I'm. Yeah. I, I don't. I we've not really spoken about this. How sort of lined up we are on on this for you since probably since he left. But I was I was okay with him going because I don't think it's very easy now for us to say, oh yeah, yeah, Pitts, Pittman scored twice against us. You know, should never have let him go. Natural goal scorer. You know, more of a goal threat than Marquis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in his appearances for us towards the end of his time at Pompey. It was very odd. Like it didn't do much. It was pretty ordinary, and I honestly think it was the right decision to let him go at the time. Even now, knowing that you know he scored two against us last night, I, I don't. You know what is it? One swallow doesn't make a summer, or something. Uh, some stupid phrase that I've just pulled <laughs> out of my head. I don't know. But like, just because he scored twice against us doesn't mean it was the wrong decision to let him leave. However many months ago, and yeah, the the thing that he's always had going for him is that eye for goal and the fact that he can create something from nothing. And he did that a bit for Pompey, even towards the latter part of the career when he was getting used in a, sim to, uh, in a system that didn't really suit him. But he occasionally created these moments out of nothing and was able to find the corner of the goal. But if you man mark him closely, and I know that's very much easier said than done, but if you, if you play a close man marking scheme, he hasn't got the legs to get away from you. And it, it surprised me how much space he was given for that first goal. It kind of played to his strengths. You know, you give him space and say, go on then, have a crack if you think you're good enough. Well, he is good enough. That, that's kind of, you know, what he's made his entire career off is he's good enough to score those snapshots from sort of half chances. And then we seem to be surprised that he was able to convert that. Whereas if, you know, you don't even give you know, room to manoeuvre and you say, right, if you're going to get through this defence, it's going to have to be through pace or muscle, then that's when he starts struggling. And that's why he struggled a bit at Pompey because other teams figured that out. So as you say, it was a bit of a surprise that they kind of said, right, we're just going to chuck in a couple of blocks. Go on then if you think you're hard enough. And and unsurprisingly enough, he had the technique to hit it in the bottom corner so, or, or into, into the, the far corner. So... Yeah, I, I don't really know what else to add to it, to be honest. That was, it was, again, a preventable goal. We're talking about how many of these goals are preventable and how many of them are coming down to sort of individual mistakes. It was miscontrol from the defence that, that led him to get the ball in the first place there. It's, that entire situation was preventable and it's a good, decent finish. But, I mean, we're talking about, you know, the, the blocks being a bit half-hearted and the closing down not being as quick as it should have been. But really, he shouldn't have been given the ball in that position anyway. You know, if if the basics had been done correctly, he wouldn't have been even given the opportunity. So it's not a great goal to concede, is it? Really, if you look at if you look at the replays a few times, it's just everything with it is wrong from a Pompey's perspective. There's a lot of negatives there. There are indeed. But do you know what I thought when that went in? All right, you know, Swindon of a. Uh... They've gone 1-0 up. Let's see Pompey come back with some fight now. There's loads of time in the game. And to be fair to the lads, they did come back with some fight. I thought they made a good press. There was a nice ball where Marcus Harness came on and he sort of played a through ball to Callum Johnson. who And it was perfectly weighted. To, and he got there because he's pacey. And he whipped the ball across. And then Ronan Curtis came onto it, the shot. And you know, it, I think it was saved by the keeper or... I think that one was saved. The next one was blocked, is it? Yeah, that was saved. That was straight at Lee Camp and he, he saves that one. Under all that pressure, though, 
And at the moment, I'm looking at the attacking players here. We don't look like we're going to score a goal. And the only person who looked like he could potentially score a goal in this game, I thought, was Ronan Curtis, who eventually does go on and score a goal. He has a couple of attempts in you know, trying to get the goal back. The first one, Lee Camp makes a good save. You know, I don't rate Lee Camp as a goalkeeper either. You know, he, he fumbles stuff and you've got to get more shots on goal. You've got to get them down low as well. You've got to drive them, make him have to get down. You know, he's not a young keeper. You've got to get make him move, make him get down. Pompey didn't do that. Just looking at the stats here again, Charlie Daniels, one successful dribble. John Marquis, one successful dribble. Sean Raggett, one successful dribble. That's it. So the problem here is not just the defence. It's actually the attacking impetus and the attacking players not really looking that convincing against, let's be honest, a dead side of Swindon. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of the antithesis of what we've been saying a lot of the season, is it? To, for us to now suddenly be saying, we just don't look like we can score. Whereas most of the season we've said, yeah, we're going to score goals spread out throughout the you know attacking five players but we're a bit nervous about individual mistakes at the back. It just seems very sudden that it's kind of done a, a 180 flip and you're saying, well, where are these goals coming from? And we are, you know, still making those those little chances. There are still like nice moments. Like um, Naylor played one gorgeous ball through to Marquis that um, was, I think it was saved. I think it was sort of half block, half saved by, by the keeper. Really nice ball. And again, later on, Marcus played a lush ball through to Curtis for us to, to score the goal. But, I mean, we're missing Freddie with the XG. What can I say? But it, where are the goals coming from? This is the thing. You've got Marcus playing up top, who is, is clearly very, well, it's clearly devoid of confidence at this point. And you're, you're quite right that Curtis, he, he was the only player that really looked like creating something from nothing. Uh, in this game and one of the things that Pompey have prided themselves on this year is that you're not relying solely on one player to to score the lion's share of the goals it's been one of our strengths in in the majority of the season and suddenly since Curtis started playing in that forward role when Marcus was out injured and suspended since then Curtis has looked like the only really viable goal scoring option and that's putting a lot of pressure on someone and you can't expect that to work game in, game out. What, what a surprise. It, it hasn't worked out in the last couple of games. I'm going to ask you a direct question here. Does the buck stop with John Marcus up front? Because if you're playing a striker up front like that, and he doesn't look like scoring, bless John, and it's in a situation now where I expect him not to score any, even a really good chance when he goes through on goal. If you're playing a striker who's lost all that sort of confidence, whatever's wrong with him at the moment taking so many touches and you just want to just bring it over and shoot earlier. He's, it looks like he's lost in his own head. Do you think when you've got a striker up front like that, who's lacking so much confidence and just never looks like scoring that the rest of the team sort of follow suit sort of, or is it, is that why we're not, it's not working and do we need just to put Curtis back up front? I mean, I don't want to answer a question with a question, but if a striker is devoid of confidence, how do you get his confidence back without game time? That'd be my question back at you. You move him to another team and hope he does better there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the classic armchair fan. Yeah, just sell him. It's fine. No, for me, you revert to what has been successful in the past. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. What was successful in the past 
Marquis and Harness playing up top together. Yeah. And I know it's difficult because we've got injuries that are preventing potentially that being a nice, easy formation to, to uh, or a ni- nice lineup to be able to utilise that. But that is when he's looked most dangerous this season. That is when we as a team have looked most dangerous this season. And when things are going wrong or when things are, you know, you're short on confidence or you're feeling nervous or anxious, for me, the best way, even if it's temporary, is to revert to what's been successful before. Revert to some sort of comfort zone that you know has worked. And I don't honestly see how it could be any worse than what we've watched because in, in, in the last few games because, I mean, how, how can this... You know, the worst-case scenario, we miss out on the playoffs. That's literally the worst-case scenario at this point. And it's what a lot of people are now expecting. So what is there really to lose at this point by, by going back to something that has worked in the past? That, that's my view on it, but everyone's got an opinion on that. No, I'm, I, I agree. I think I, I always want Marcus to play through. I always want Marcus Harness to play through the middle. I think he's always better there. He's better either in a cam or forward roll, drifting around the striker. That's where he's most dangerous. You know, the little through balls, the assists, scoring, shooting. He always looks a little bit lost on when he goes on the right wing, but he sort of was almost in this game sort of drifting into the middle. He sort of naturally drifts in the middle and then you lose the width of having a player on the right-hand side, which then sort of crushes you. You've got Charlie Daniels on the left, who's not getting forward, and then that means that the left side isn't working. And then if you've got Harness on the right, who's not hanging right enough or, or you know, as your right winger, then you're almost still sort of... Um, you, you're basically so narrow as a team and you're not stretching opposition defences. If you're trying to pass through people whilst being in this cluster of players who are in the centre, it's just not going to work. So put Williams back out back out, out wide. Let him press from the right, I agree. Put Marcus Harness back up top. But, I mean, let's talk about the Curtis goal. It's a nice ball through. It's a nice ball through to him. I thought Curtis took that pretty nicely. Yeah, really good finish. Um it's not a huge amount to add. Like I said, it's quite a, a relatively simple goal as goals come. It's a really, really nice ball through from Marquis. You see, he literally looks up for a split second, picks out what he's going to do, maybe half a second before doing it, and executes the ball perfectly. And it's a really neat finish from, from Rona Curtis. Yeah, it was kind of sort of the ruthless incision that maybe we're missing a little bit uh, in general. Because as you say, that potentially we're losing shape on the two wings for different reasons. So at the left, we're losing shape because of defensive issues. On the right, we're losing shape because of issues going forward. And as a result, neither wing is balanced, neither wing is stable, and it's all getting yeah narrow and congested. I mean, just to go back a tiny bit, would you therefore play Curtis left, Williams right, Harness Marquis up top? Is that what you're thinking? The problem is you haven't got Michael Jacobs, have you? Or I actually would put Curtis back up top with Marcus. Yeah. We'll try that and actually put a left winger on the side. If Harvey White was fit, I'd actually put White back to left left mid at this stage. Um, and, and maybe even try Curtis and, Curtis and Harness, see if, see if you can get that going. Because Curtis seems to be the only player who's forward enough and looks like he's going to score. Then again, who knows, mate? At this point, it is a bit of a lottery, isn't it? It is a bit of a... But what what I do know is you, you can't keep it as it is because it, it just is not working. And it's been multiple games now. It's not like we had an off game. And we haven't played that that great of teams either. 
playing Bristol Rovers, who we'll come on to, aren't great, let's be honest, pretty much relegated. You've got to try something different, shake it up and hope it works and hope the team go on a run for the rest of the season. So, you know, that's my feeling with it. Just before we get off this game, let's just finish this game, Andy. Let's finish the Swindon roundup with the final goal. Just a kick in the teeth, really, wasn't it? And just the epitome of not looking confident on the ball. All the things we've talked about already. Charlie Daniels, when he gives the ball away that high up the pitch, he's never getting back, is he? Let's be honest. Just talk us through that goal, Andy, and uh, how devastating it was to everybody. <laughs> devastating is the right word, yeah. Um, as you said, it's a, it's a, it's a very low-pressure situation. It's not like times in previous weeks where we've, we've talked about the centre-backs being under pressure in their own penalty box and potentially making a mistake or around the 18-yard box. It's further forward. It's a low-pressure situation. And it just shows how one heavy touch can completely flip you know, the feel of, of a moment in football. And yeah, suddenly suddenly we're under pressure from a very, very quick attack from a dangerous position. And yeah, I mean, we, we don't want to, you know, spend too long being overly critical of individual mistakes. But again, it's such a preventable goal. And we seem to say it a lot. And um, I mean, if we're pointing out individual mistakes, I think if, if you're being really critical, I think McGillivray's uh, positioning isn't brilliant. I think that the actual finish doesn't go right to the far post. I think McGillivray's too moves too far across to his near post. But again, it's 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 easy to say that after you know the split second in which it's happened, but it's not a position that he should be in. And how many times in previous weeks is you know is he facing chances and opportunities that are caused by our own making? Whether it's one of the centre backs or one of the wing or one of the uh, the wider players in defence making an individual error that's putting him in a in a position where he's you know facing a goal that whatever the stat is expected goals against or whatever would be fairly high and I think in this occasion his positioning was pretty poor but if you keep putting someone in that position where they're yeah facing chances they shouldn't be you can't expect them to keep bailing you out which is what he's done at times frequently over the last weeks months. Um, and to be fair, years. So, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna go wrong from time to time, right? And it certainly did on this occasion. Yeah, and yeah, it definitely went wrong. Let's move on from that. So, there's big changes at the moment, Andy, into the the academy, which has caused right a stir on Twitter. People know, listen to the podcast. You know, we've had a lot of these guys on the podcast as guests, and a lot of them, they're all top lads, genuinely on the air, off the air, chatting to them. And I'm pretty disappointed that the whole year has been let go. You know, pretty much the whole year group has been let go. With the exception of Haji Minoga, who's already made it into the first team. So I'm I'm not necessarily counting Haji in that sense. So that's the likes of Harry Kavanagh, Charlie Bell, Harvey Rue. And it's just Owen Taggart, Jared Storey. For me, the one thing that splits the mind is, is it this? Is it the fact some people want to say, well, if they're not good enough, let them go? And the second point is, okay, is that we're changing the structure or whatever. Now, the first point is, if they're not good enough, let them go. What the fuck have we been doing with the academy? Because it's not good enough to see one player make it into the into the squad rotation and nobody else good enough to even retain in the squad. Not, not just uh, 
not just, I don't know, not make it straight into the first team and not retaining the squad, okay? And that's mad. I've seen a lot of these players play myself on loan and in different situations. I do not believe that's the case. Then again, I'm not the academy manager. So, however, the former now Pompey academy manager, Mark Kelly, also agreed with that point. He's now resigned his position and Pompey have brought in a new academy manager. So, Greg Miller has joined as the new academy manager. Last appointment was the, was the Barnsley under-23s coach for a couple of years there. He's quite well known in coaching circles. He's done he's done a bit of a... He started out at Hibs coaching. He's managed in the Japanese Premier League. Um, he's worked with the Scottish FA, getting the under-17s, I think it was, or 19s. I'm going to say under-17s to, uh, to the World Championships, the World Cup. He's got some good pedigrees, been at Rangers as well, helping their youth team. So... This is the this is the big name to bring in, to be honest, Andy. Um, and for me, I want to see from the club now what direction after the anger of letting these players go. What direction are the club taking? Mark Catlin, are you listening to us? And is this the start of an under twenty threes revolution? I was waiting for that. I was waiting for the I was waiting for the under twenty threes revolution to come in there. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult to to balance out sort of emotion from sort of footballing fact. I guess I mean I'm on a personal level like really sad to see some of these these guys go because as you say we've had conversations with a number of them who are, they're Pompey fans they love the club and they've looked to me when they've come into the side for. Uh, whatever it is, cup games, Papa John's, whatever it was called at the time when they came in, they fitted in quite nicely. Charlie Bell looked really good at the occasions I've seen him play in the cup. Same with you know, Harry Kavanagh fitted in pretty nicely when I've seen him play. Harvey Rue, is, again, like these aren't players who have come into the first team and played in a bit of a mixed ma- a mix match side and looked out of their depth and not. So is this a case of the club wanting to go right okay you know new coach for this age group we're writing off almost this year group and as you say if that's the case then <laughs> what the hell's gone wrong there is it a case of them saying right we're starting from scratch we're bringing someone new in complete fresh start or is it a case of they've actually just you know decided pretty much none of these players are of the standard required in which case they need to be looking internally at why that is the case i mean yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because I don't see what other opportunities they, opportunities they could have had to prove themselves in a game environment. We always talk about how difficult or impossible it is to come into a team for one game or for half an hour and really make a stamp on it. We've talked about it with senior players. We talked about it earlier in the season with Ben Close when Kenny Jacket was giving him 25 minutes here or there and it was impossible for him to make an impact. But lo and behold, when he gets a few 90 minutes under his belt, looks a different kettle of fish. And that's the case for a senior player. Times that by 10, 100, 1,000, whatever, for a 17, 18, 19-year-old who's trying to apply their trade and get and make the most of their little breaks into the senior team. And I'm not saying that these players should be starting week in, week out in League One. Obviously, that's you know a huge step up. But I, I don't really feel like they have the opportunity to prove themselves in matchday situations. And obviously, you know, they get seen week in, week out at training. But at the same time, you know, you, you 
that's not the same as, as a match day competitive environment. And it's really sad to see such a, a almost a culling of, of people that we've seen come through the system for the last maybe five years or so and put their heart and soul into the club. And you see the pride when they put on the Pompey shirt for the first time. And it's quite demoralising to see the sort of the rug pulled out from, from so many of them with very little warning in some cases that, that it was going to happen. And you, yeah, you do wonder where we go from here in the next six months. Yeah. And the noise we're hearing is the players weren't really given this, this warning, this, this sort of came as a bit of a, to some of the players, a bit of a, a bit of a shock, shall we say. Uh, and you can see that it's come to a bit of a shock, even to, to the manager, to Mark Kelly. And you wonder where this direction's come from. I'll be interested to see who had the the major input into this decision to, to, to rip out the academy side. And, and some people are saying that they think it's because we're moving to an under-23 setup. Well, you know, that would be nice in some ways to go alongside an academy. You don't usually get rid of all your under-23s players to do that unless we're going on some absolutely mad recruitment to, to now... To, to, to recruit in this way. But Barnsley, I'm going to put on to that, do recruit very young players, recruit play young players generally and develop them fairly well. So it will be interesting to see whether we sort of externally recruit in a, almost a Brentford way, I'm going to say, in a Brentford B team way, if we're going to get someone to come in now and start recruiting to, to fill up an under-23s team. But if that does happen... We need to get an under-23s development, whatever you want to call it, squad. Then you're talking there about sort of going externally, but all the noises coming out from the club have been intern, like looking internally at the Portsmouth youth, youth team. So, I mean, even us talking to, to Danny Cowley a couple of weeks ago, it was a case of, yeah, he'd already gone and watched every single age category in the club within, you know, two weeks of turning up at the club, which is fantastic and, and quite right that that they should be doing that and that's all the noises that have come out of the club have been looking yeah looking internally looking at players in Hampshire looking at players in Portsmouth and trying to build up some sort of local network where you know no one should ever go to another club in Hampshire without having the opportunity to play for Portsmouth first and and what you just what you've just described there about looking externally that's a completely different approach that kind of flies in the face of this big message that's kind of been pushed out by the club so uh, I'm just I I feel like I don't entirely know where I stand or where we stand as fans looking in as to what the actual one two five year plan is from that side of things it, it, I'm sure it's not being sort of made up as it goes along I'm sure they have got a plan but again from from the fan perspective without all of that access it, it kind of second guessing what's going to happen next because the actions are not necessarily lining up with the words that have come beforehand. And it's a bit confusing, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty baffled by it as well. And um, all I can say is good luck to the lads who will ultimately go on trial at other clubs and I hope they get picked up and um, hope they're given another opportunity to, to do well um, at those other clubs. Coming off that then, we put the question out to you guys and we said to you, after the disappointing 3-1 loss to Swindon, it leaves Pompey in eighth place, in case you haven't read the table. Is it a final push for the playoffs or are we now planning for next season? Once again, thank you everyone for messaging in. 
I've been mega busy at work, so I only put the question out today about six o'clock, two hours before we recorded, and you guys are still flooded in some responses. So I really appreciate that. We, we do. It massively makes the show. So thank you, everyone, again for your time. Let's get into it then. George Andrew slash George messages in. He says, it's not the Cowleys. The players are simply not good enough. Specifically at the top and bottom end of the pitch, we need to completely get rid of, rid of all... We need to completely get rid of all of the out-of-contract players, sell Curtis, Harness, and Marquez, as com- and a completely fresh start. Wow, George, let's start that with a hot take. You want to get rid of get rid of Marcus? Uh, Marcus. <laughs> want to get rid of Harness and Curtis? They're on my retaining list. I don't know about you, Andy. I mean, yeah, get rid of all the first team and play. You know, play Harry Kavanagh. Play. Oh wait, like, <laughs> oh wait, we haven't got any other youth team left. Okay, maybe not. Um, I, I definitely agree with the first part of that. That you can't put the blame on the door of the Cowleys for this. I place literally zero percent of the blame on either of the Cowleys in this situation. Absolutely none. Um, and then I think as that message progresses, I, I gradually agree with less and less of it as we work through. Um, yeah, there, there's going to be a turnover over summer, but I think that's that's an exciting thing that if the Cowleys do stay around, which they hopefully will, they'll have more of an opportunity to, to build the squad as they want. I, I don't think you release every single out-of-contract player. There's definitely a couple in there that I'd be keeping at the club. Um and yeah, hopefully time will tell fairly soon that, that we are keeping some of them at the club. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that releasing yeah people like Marcus Harness and Rona Curtis is the best idea unless you've got someone literally lined up as a like for like or a better replacement. Change doesn't isn't always good, right? So in some cases it will be if you've got that that replacement lined up. But just getting rid of I mean we've just spoke about how Curtis is kind of the main goal scoring threat at the moment that's that's a that's a big thing to suddenly try and get out of your squad yeah i think it's more a basis of can we keep hold of ronan curtis in the summer if we don't get promoted um i think that'll be a question that i'm going to put out there uh interested to hear your views on that people but um ferg's message is in he says peter thurgood messages in he says my opinion is there is nothing of the Cowleys doing. Peter Thurgood messages in. He says, my opinion is this is nothing of the Cowleys doing. The players are exhausted and it's clear to see we don't have enough to be in the championship. Patchy form since December. Huge clear out needed. No motivation. No love. This year's squad isn't Portsmouth Football Club. I've seen a lot of people, Andy, talking about the team that got promoted from League 2. The passion the players, the staff, the turnover, how we all follow that team, you know, how I'd follow them into battle, you know, anything they did, you know, proud to be Portsmouth. Here we go. It's not worked out now, but is that just the fact that the Kenny jacket was so fucking uninspiring that he literally has sapped the life out of this squad. We need to go into the summer Get rid of all the dead wood. That's right, Paul Downing. I'm looking at you. Get rid of them all right there. And then we just need to bring in a new squad. Because let's be honest, Andy, you said you don't lay, lay any of the blame at the Cowleys. Neither do I. You need a you need a squad, needs time in the summer, a pre-season to implement these systems that we all think are going to be better for us to watch as fans. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a case to be made there that 
some of the players' love for the club may well have been tarnished. I'm going to put it a bit more politically correctly, um, purely because I'm a very moderate, you know, polite middle-class white bloke. Um, that I think some of their love for the club may well have been tarnished um, by playing under a fairly mundane system for so long. Uh, so for that reason, absolutely, I think some some fresh blood would be would yeah certainly benefit the team over the summer. I don't think, I mean, it's certainly not a championship squad. I don't think anyone is even starting to argue that case. I mean, but it's some, I mean, you look back and that, that League Two winning squad obviously has a huge place in my heart for some amazing memories that season, you know. But at the same time, it wasn't all like sunshine and rainbows the whole time. We had Burgess and Doyle fighting at half time at one point. It wasn't all, you know, let's all hold hands and be friendly and just really enjoy this championship winning season there were moments where it was fairly grim at times I mean we're talking sort of you, you could easily pull out a couple of games there where things were dreadful I remember a couple of games where fans around me were fighting at half time in the Fratton end because they were fighting about how bad the game was like actual it got it got brought to physical violence and people getting escorted out because they were so angry at the game like it wasn't all perfect and I've seen a couple of comments of people saying oh worst Pompey squad in my lifetime and you're like you sort of it's people in there again like by age I'm about to I've turned 30 this time next week people in their 30s 40s 50s saying it's the worst Pompey squad in their lifetime it's like do, do, you, do you remember that time we didn't win for half a season like let's oh it was so bad wasn't it that league one squad when we piled down to league two yeah just a bit of perspective oh. you know like it's not great but it's certainly been worse. <laughs> That's it. Well, they need to try and travel back to the... I know I'm sounding like a right golden oldie. Try and travel back to that League One squad, which Johnny Ertel was talking about as well, into the into the League Two team. And uh, those were some miserable days on the pitch. But at the same time, I do feel that in some ways you could say that there was a more togetherness than there was at the end of the jacket re- regime, as we said. And maybe that is the feeling, really. Not just the performances of the talent of the players, but it was sort of the... The, the commitment and the passion to the squad. Yeah, that's that's absolutely a fair comment. The fact that, as you say, we we know that that team that lost for half the season, I'm throwing that out there a bit, sort of ad-lib, but that team out there had a huge team spirit for the quite, like, you know, the one-month rolling contracts, etc., and the lack of job security that was going on. There was a lot of cohesion there, whereas you don't really get that vibe as much from this team. But, you know, that's that's not what, is being said by some quarters on social media, yeah, that which is, you know, the worst team ever. And yeah, that, that phrase has stuck out of me from a few tweets, a few Facebook posts around that I, I don't particularly think is fair, but it there is definitely a, there's a lack of cohesion and it's, it, that's, you, you don't fix that overnight. It's going to take time and potentially it's going to require some sort of player turnover, which I'd expect to see, yeah, fairly large player turnover over this summer. Yeah, either way. The comment of saying that this is not a championship squad, it doesn't need to be. I just want to drill this into people's heads here. It does not need to be a championship squad because whether we get promoted, looking a bit more unlikely, but whether we whether we do get promoted or we stay in League One, there's going to be a turnover this squad. This is This is not the squad that's going to go into League One or into the championship next season. You've got a new manager, a new way of playing. However, we have to restructure the squad. Whatever league we're in, there is going to be 
a player turnover at the squad. So people who want a player turnover, there's going to be one. Be interesting to see who stays. Sam Stone messaged in. Cheers, Sam. He said, it's foolish to say the season's done. If we win our next four, or even three out of four, it should be enough. Cholton still have to play Lincoln, Peterborough and Hull. Still a fair bit to play for. Certainly won't be getting uh, disinterested just yet. I think Sam's got a good point there. And I think that we went along with the idea. I think we had four wins in a row and we we're all like, yeah, playoffs. We nearly nailed him. We're looking good. You know, we we're also quite surprised, weren't we? Because I didn't necessarily think when the Cowleys came in that they would get us into the playoffs. And my expectation was not, of, sorry, my expectation of their success was not based on whether they get us into the playoffs or not, but how they turn the team around. Sam's got a point though. This league's streaky. Teams who look like they're dead cert on, like Lincoln at the top of the league, then suddenly go on awful runs. We're not the only team who can go on a bad run. There are other teams in, in the playoffs that could go on a bad run. Andy, do you think it's too little too late? Or, or do you think we should be holding on hope with four games to go in the season and a point or so out of uh, out of sixth place? It's not over. It's absolutely not over. No, that's... To say that it's 100% not making the playoffs is an absolute mad concept. When, yeah, as you say, we're one point off with four games left. And, you know, yes, Charlton, Blackpool, Lincoln have got one game in hand. But as, as Sam just pointed out, a lot of these teams are playing each other in the running. And I think we said a couple of weeks ago, we said that realistically Pompey need pro- probably 74-ish points, maybe 75 to, to guarantee playoffs. It's normally sort of 71, 72, 73 points. This year's a bit more congested. So probably 74, 75. And that is sort of three wins out of four games. And that's not impossible. And yeah, obviously you look at the trend and you look at, sort of the downward trajectory over the last last couple of weeks. But you wouldn't put it past the, the tide to, to do that because, as you say, it's such a streaky league. And at different times this season, I've thought about four different teams were going to run, run away with it at the top. And now Hull are suddenly back there having, you know, they're unbeaten in five and looking pretty much, well, they're looking the most likely to think they're, they're a point ahead if Peterborough win their game in hand. So they're looking the most likely, but it's so streaky. And then... What about if, Sunderland? Well, they're looking like they're storming up the league and then suddenly they just started dropping and... Yeah, and then and then they hit a good run again. Lincoln, as you just mentioned, storming it, dropped off. I mean, even Ipswich at one point were, you know, crushing it. And then, you know, things could always be worse. We could be in their shoes. So... It is so streaky, and I, I, I just think if we put somehow put in a really positive performance in the next game, let's say that we score that early goal against Bristol Rovers and essentially condemn them to relegation with that early goal, make it very unlikely they're going to have even a mathematical chance of staying up. Let's say hypothetically, win we win that game three four nil in a heartbeat. If if the, say Oxford and Charlton drop points in that round of games. Suddenly, we're back into the playoff places with a win, with a you know a three or four goal difference bonus under our belt, and then everything changes with three games left. I mean, in a, in a forty six in a forty six game season, it's amazing how often it comes down to the final game. But I, I think it's going to go down to the final week, and if that's the case, then you absolutely can't ride it off with four games left. It's yeah. I mean, we we were tenth and dropping like a stone when Jacket left, and now we're eighth and you know after an iffy run of form but all it takes is one or two wins and suddenly you're back in the picture right 
Yeah, completely. I'm not writing anything off. I actually did already write off the playoffs earlier in the season. Uh, I was like, ah, there's no way we can get there. You know, we dropped down, had Jackie. I think we're in 10th. And I thought, there's only one way this team's going, and that's lower down into the mid table, you know. And, uh, you know, I thought we'd finish around there. Cowley's come in, four wins. It's still on people. Whether or not we'll win the playoffs is another question, all indeed. Let's 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 get on to that if we do qualify. But for now, I think it's definitely still on. Cowley's Cow's message is in. He says, obviously wanted to make the playoffs, but in some ways, glad the players were reverted to type after the Cowley's good start. It means the Cowleys are getting a true reflection of the squad and its inconsistencies were performing. With so many out of contract, you don't want to see some of them blagging new deals. Um, I was going to say, I don't think they're going to blag new deals. I think they're, the Cowleys in particular, both Danny and Nicky, are very meticulous over their analysis of player analysis. Sorry, their views on player analysis. They're watching tape back of every training session. You know, they're they're talking to players in that sense. I don't think they're going to be fooled by a little bit of good form. It's all down to how they, their total game is. So I'm not too worried about that. I'd much rather the team was performing and we were in third place rather than worrying about the Cowleys being fooled by a player playing over their level of, of effectively. And Paul messages in, he says, planning for next season. Even if they make the playoffs, they don't stand a chance of advancing. Paul, everyone stands a chance of advancing. Wickham won the playoffs in the last one. I thought they were fucking rubbish all season. Dan Foster messages in, he says, not going to happen, unfortunately. Playoffs, very unlikely, but promotion is inconceivable with the way we've been playing. After that shit show, how badly do you think Oxford or Sunderland or Blackpool would give it to us? I'll be honest, Dan. I, I think they'd probably give us a good, you know, hiding at the moment. Um, but as we said, there's four games to go, five games for some teams. We could turn it around. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen, Dan? But yeah, I do think that's a particularly hard matchups, and Blackpool in particular are are scaring me and maybe I shouldn't have put that money on him Andy to get promoted at the start of the season at 50 to 1 I mean it's definitely looking better than my bet on Accrington isn't it (laughs) I mean we don't have to go there I mean if I have to buy you those drinks then I'll just be glad to be in a pub garden with you but yeah it's a very tough playoff lineup no matter who goes up automatically I mean you're looking at four of what realistically Sunderland Lincoln Blackpool Charlton Oxford Pompey Jill's at an absolute push, but not likely. Out of those teams, I mean, it's a it's a it's a coin flip at best, absolute best, isn't it? And as you say, Blackpool have been in in really good nick recently, and I know you've got a a small wager on them. Lincoln have sort of been in better form again over the last few games. I. It's just it's it's really difficult to predict. I know that sounds like a really stupid thing to say, but. Playoffs, anything can happen, but you'd base over the last 123-ish years that uh, it's not tended to go too well for Pompey. But, you know, history is made to be changed. Yeah, I'm I'm not going down that route. I do not think that (laughs) historical results in the playoffs. I mean, I know that happens and Sunderland fans will say the same as well. But yeah, I've got a feel that under a new management team and a new way of playing this just doesn't matter really how he did against Plymouth with under Paul Cook 
Mate, are you saying that the playoff result from 1903 doesn't have any bearing on a playoff result in 2021? Because that's Sorry, just that, that one does. That one does. That one does. Not okay, the last cool. one in League Two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. That's an important point. Thank you. Yeah, no worries, Andy. Tommy <laughs> Blue messages in and says, Club needs a big shake-up on and off the field. It's all too cosy at PO4. No. I mean, I, I would say that, yes, to a certain level, that maybe some players now look a bit stale I, I would say that, that is the case a little bit there are some players that I think we should retain and there's quite a lot I think we should get rid of with no matter what division we're in whether in league one or in the championship as I said so I do agree that he is looking stale I think jacket was really stale so we are making moves forward there in that sense to bring in a much more motivated upbeat manager so hopefully that coziness that you're worried about there, mate, actually turns out to, well, we're on the right track in that sense. Lewis Pete messages in. He says, I feel oddly at peace with not going up this season. Good for you, Lewis, mate. I, I like that. Anyone feeling at peace watching Pompey? I think that's a good shout. Uh, I don't think the squad is anywhere near good enough for the championship, and I'd rather Danny have a summer to build a title winning slash challenging team that can compete. Lewis, I just feel that Danny's going to be given the summer to build a team for either the championship or League One. I don't know what you think, Andy, but for me, I'd rather, if we've got to rebuild the whole squad, let's rebuild it for the league above, not, not, not rebuild it for League One, and then try and get promoted and then have to try and rebuild it all again for the championship. Yeah, I mean, what year was it? It was a couple of years ago. We spoke to Mark Catlin just before, like what? It was like three games left in the season or something. It was when Conor Chaplin had just gone to Coventry. So maybe maybe two years ago, three years ago. And he made the point that the pool of players you look at if you stay in League One is literally a completely separate pool of players to the ones you look at if you're going in the Championship. Like if you're thinking of it as a Venn diagram, there is no one in the middle. You're either looking at Championship players or you're looking at League One players. So I completely agree. If, you, if you're going to give the Cowleys a summer to recruit, I would much rather they, they are trying to recruit championship or lower level championship players to you know consolidate a place in the league above rather than trying to build a league one winning team which in reality is probably still going to need championship adaptations even if it does win league one because it's a huge jump up now we've seen with Wickham this year how big the jump up is between league one and the championship and you know multiple other teams that have sort of come back down again quite soon after getting promoted so yeah i it sounds silly. I'd much rather that they have the opportunity to prepare, having having got us promoted. But I, what, what I have been relieved by is that we, there's not been sort of an overreaction towards the coaching staff here, which is, yeah, for me, it's it's a it is a big relief that there's not some sort of histrionic reaction to it because, as you've just said, there was this sort of stagnation towards the end under Kenny Jacket, where the enjoyment and the fun and the you know, I don't want to use the word passion because it's so cliche, but all of the life got s- sort of sucked out from the club and from the players, it felt like. And what we've got now are coaching staff who are vibrant, efficient, sort of methodolo- uh, methodical. And with time, I have no doubt, will instill a lot of the traits that, or a lot of the, the feeling that we lost under Jacket. So I'm pleased to see and hear that the, the blame for the last few performances is being laid at the player's door rather than at the coaching staff's door. Absolutely. Not really much more I can say on that. Alfredo messages in. He says, season's done. Give the Cowleys a new deal and let him get his players in. 
because he's inherited a sack of shit that needs replacing. Um, look, look, the season's not done until it's done. We're a, we're a point outside of the playoffs, and I do understand that it's not looking great on the on the trajectory that we are currently on at this second in time. However, I do agree with the second point. Give the Cowleys a new deal. I, I think we should give them a new deal. I still think I'm a little bit concerned about what the club's criteria is for this new deal for the coaching staff. Hopefully they can see the the, the change in on and off the field and the methods and they can see it working themselves firsthand. If that's the case, hopefully they can give them a, a new deal based on how the club's going in the right direction necessarily rather than instant success. Because let's be honest, when they took over, playoffs was just the, the dream, really. It was not the... And it's got to be the aim, let's be honest, but it's not, it can't be the cutoff point. Yeah, he's, it, they, there are, there's a lot of dead weight that Jacket signed, which needs to be get got rid of. And I completely agree with that. Let the Cowdies rip that stuff out of the club, get rid of them, tap them on the shoulder, say thank you and hand them the luggage bag. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you've got to give them that opportunity, right? They'll they'll be spending these, was it, was it 12 games they came in remaining, I think, in the season? Yeah. And they're going to spend those 12 games, yeah, drilling the, the side to, to play the style of football they want. But they're also going to be identifying where that underbelly is, like maybe partially like a rotten underbelly or a core of the club that isn't as it should be on the inside. And, and a lot of their time is going to be spent identifying that. And as you say, yeah, I, I don't know what the criteria is for whether or not they're even offered a new deal, but you'd certainly hope that, you know, the, the big picture is looked at here and the fan base is overwhelmingly supportive of them as a coaching group and of a sort of a new managerial group. And you you look at other clubs, I mean, I don't want to use Ipswich Town as a model here that we should be working off because there are there's so much wrong with that that we could do an entire pod on that that no one would want to listen to. But one of the things that the fan base are doing all right is saying, look, yeah, Paul Cook's come in. He needs to have summer because he's inherited a squad full of loan players who aren't good enough and who are going to be leaving anyway, and a load of other players who don't like the fan base, didn't like the previous manager, and are coming out of contract and are finishing mid-table and go, don't give a damn. And so he's been given to the end of the season free reign. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. Then he has summer, and then you judge him based on next season. And, you know, the, the Cowleys coming in has had a far more positive effect here than Cook has had at Ipswich already. So it would be absolute madness for that not to be the case for Pompey going forward to do to follow the same model and give them give them the next well give them summer to remodel it and the next season or two seasons to actually make some more long-term changes um justin k meshes in next season we don't have the horses to compete this season well justin you're probably right but let's see the season play out and you never know we could get lucky papa booper dave messaged in like that Cowley has only got a contract at the end of the season so surely not making the playoffs is a failure and he won't be kept on as a question if not what was the point in a short-term deal personally would like him to stay on in brackets though just to clarify is what he said I think you, you've just uh Papa Booth Dave I think you've uh just touched on what we've already said really about the contract situation and, and why it's happened well the official line is the no, do you know what? Why has it happened? The club didn't do enough due diligence in the first place to work out managers. And because of that, they took what they perceived as a low-risk option, is my opinion. Um, that's not based on any real credible 
information. It just seems to be the logical side that they said the week before they weren't looking for a new manager. They hadn't been. And then all of a sudden uh, they had to because of the situation. Um, Ian Joseph messages in. He says, clear out. <laughs> and it is a get out gift. All right, Ian, you can lead, lead the charge when we are having it. Help us market it. Paul Downing for sale or for free. Is he got another year in his contract, Andy? Not. Look that I don't, up know, for me. Look that I up don't for actually me. know. I have look. look up on transfer market. See if, see if it's got some basic info on it. Bradley Hyde messages in. Pompey need an overhaul this summer. I'll be much more confident doing that in League One. Turnbull, Bolton, Daniels, Downing, Morris, Hackett Fairchild, Harrison and Hoyler need to be moved on. All good players, but not for a team challenging for the title. Uh, I don't actually disagree with a lot of those players you want gone to be honest so I can't see anyone that I look on there and go no we should keep them do you Andy um if I'm honest mate I was I was kind of looking up Paul Downing's transfer uh, contract expiration which is yeah September uh, sorry June 2022 so another year oh, um, for another, he's here for another I'll just read them out to you again Turnbull Bolton Turnbull Bolton Downing Daniels Morris Hackett Fairchild Harrison and Hawula no, I mean, there's there's a big free Hawula movement, but I think that's a large proportion of that is because players get better when they're not playing because everyone's great when they're on the bench. Um, I think Packet Fairchild, we've not really seen enough of to have a, a really strong opinion, but you'd think that he would have pulled up trees on load if, you know, if he was of that level. Um, but yeah, I would, I'd pretty much agree with that list, I think, to be honest with you. There's no one that jumps out as like, oh, no, we must retain those those players. Yeah. And then Bradley goes on to say, we need to renew the contracts of McGivory, Watmore, Naylor, ASAP. We need to sign a starting centre-back to pair with Watmore, a left-back, a centre-midfield to pair with Naylor, a centre-attacking midfielder and a striker. If we lose McGivory, Watmore and Naylor, then we lose our core and we could struggle again next year. I mean, obviously, Bradley, that depends on who you bring in. Um, you, you can sometimes, actually, the team need to change the whole core of a team, actually, in some ways, to, to do it, and some ways not. McGivory, I'm hoping, will, will re-sign um, this season. Um, I, I, I do hope that we can, we can manage to convince Craig to stay here. Uh, Tom Naylor, again you got to hope that that deal gets done just because he's that, that presence in the middle. And I think he will work well in the Cowley system as well to break the play up. Jack's a difficult one, isn't he? He's a local lad. You always want to keep on the players from the academy. Signing a starting centre-back to pair with Jack Watmore is difficult because of Jack's injury issues. I don't know if you can pencil Jack in as a starting centre-back. And I do think that potentially a player like Jack who can pass the ball out well, might get picked up by a championship team as a, de- as a depth player um, because he's got the talent to play there and championship sides can afford to have a centre-back who maybe doesn't start every game but can come in and and be a good player to have as a replacement. So um, Jack's the one I think, I'm. you know, this is not talking from any knowledge base, this is just me saying Jack's the one I think we might struggle to, to re-sign. If, um, if you're in charge of loans, Hugh, do you try and retain Nick Eliasson for another half a season because we know he's not staying permanently because that was said from the outset of the loan do you retain him or do you let him go and then try and find a complete like maybe two new centre-backs in the summer no I don't think Nick Eliasson's going to come back we haven't given him any game time um he's come from a you know a top quality team that competes in Europe and 
I think they'll be disappointed with the with the lack of game time he's had. I don't think the club will let him come back on loan, quite frankly. Um, he's been all right, hasn't he? He's, he can pass the ball out well. And to be honest, with a bit more regular game time, maybe he would look much better in the Cowley system because he can provide that outlet pass, which is what we really need, actually. The pass to get the ball into Tom Naylor or into Ben Close or even further forward to be able to pass a, a splitting pass that goes through the midfield and, and goes to an attacker. So... Someone with Nicolaisen's skill set in passing, I think we should be looking to get. Whether that's Nicolaisen, I don't really think it's going to be him. Yeah, fair enough. I think, I, yeah, I agree. Like that, that incisive passing out from the back is one of his strengths. But we keep we keep talking about individual mistakes that have led to chances given away. But he's not really been responsible for any of those. You think he scored? Was it one own goal that literally wasn't his fault? I think it was him, where he had no time. The ball just cannoned off him. Mm. But I can't really put my finger on any. Yeah, individual errors he's made that particularly cost the side, unless you can. You're smiling as if you can think of one. No, at the start of his, when he first got in, he gave the ball away a few times and he did a few passes that I think he got slated on um, for a couple of goals. But you know what? As I said before, and as you've said, Andy, players need runs of games. And Nicolás has not been given enough run of games from a player who's come from a completely different country, a different league. Um, and it's not surprising to me, really, that he he hasn't been able to get that consistency going completely at the start of the season because he's not been played enough and he has got better as time's gone on. He's looked better. His passing's more confident. He's better on the ball. I don't think he's the best pair with Sean Raggett. That's what it comes down to. I don't think it's the best matchup for him. He needs to play with another defender who's a bit more modern, I feel, rather than this sort of slow lumbering centre-back that plays next to him. I think he needs someone who's a bit more steady-headed and and just a bit more polished, really, than Sean Raggett. And I think he'd actually do well then. If he was playing next to someone like Burgess or someone like that, I, obviously I'm going back historically, or even with Jack Watmore consistently, I, I think it would look he would look like a better player. Yeah, I mean, what, what I keep coming back to is uh, a couple of months ago now when Freddie went through a list of other centre-backs in the division and said, would you rather have X, Y or Z compared to the Pompey centre-backs? And I, I re-listened to that pod maybe maybe two or three weeks ago and I was thinking, yeah, so, some of these players, having done a little bit more legwork and research, I probably would trust more in the back four. I think that's probably the right word. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're overall fantastic players in comparison they're not a huge amount better but would I trust them more yeah probably and that's that's I think where our, our issue is you go into summer and you're talking about the centre-back pairing who do you trust not to make rash challenges and get repeated red cards or give away two penalties in two games or make you know we, we didn't even touch on um was it the I think it was in the Swindon game where when we were 1-0 down and Raggett completely missed a header that almost led to us conceding a second goal. I think McGillivray made a good save. Like, who do you trust in, in that defensive line? And there's, yeah, I don't, I don't trust our defensive line, basically. Alan Johnson is the player. Yeah, that's I, it. And then, yeah. and then second at the moment, at the moment consistently, would be Lee Brown at left back. And that's yeah. a player who got absolutely slated earlier on in the season. Um, so yeah, no, I, yeah, it's the full backs at the moment for me. Um, I'll, I'll Callum Johnson then followed by by Lee Brown. 
Just moving on quickly, Stephen Brooks messaged in and he said to me, um, he's got a question. Why do the Cowley boys keep playing the same players Jacket did? Barring close, they're not utilising any of the lone players or giving Stanley a shot. Secondly, is there a concern that the charming nature of Danny could serve as lip service to keep the fans happy? First, I'll, I'll tackle the second bit first before I go into the analysis, I suppose. No, 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 I don't think that. Um, I don't think it's the char- the charming nature of Danny Cowley. We've spoken to him um, on the pod that you guys are listening to before and afterwards as well. Um, it is genuine. It's not, it's no, uh, it's no rubbish there. What you see is what you get at Danny. Um, and I think he's, uh, he's up front uh, quality bloke. So I don't think it's lip service to keep the fans happy. I think he's genuinely means it. And if that makes the fans happy, then, then that's only a good thing for the, for the unity and the togetherness of this football club. So that's something that I'm genuinely very happy with and see that as a huge positive, not as a, not as a negative to try and, keep the fans happy why it's all going bad. I don't think that at all. But if you can keep the fans happy and motivate and inspire a bit whilst the team are playing, you know, quite frankly, rubbish at the moment, then then that's only a positive. So yeah, I see that as a good thing. Um, why do they keep playing the play- same players? We've got quite a few injury issues. Uh, and some of the players, the lone guys, if you look at Harvey White, he's had some injury issues as well. But he has been brought into the squad and played as well when Close was out. So George Byers has been bought on more recently, but he's been very good in flashes, but I don't know why, but he's not been consistent enough in his performances really to warrant necessarily starting over someone like Close who has looked very good. You know, Williams looks good in this system, but again, not much end product. If you're going to put someone behind John Marquis, you you could argue Byers in, but this is all semantics. It's not really worked out with these players either. So I don't really know what else Danny Cowley can do with the players he's got. And I don't think you need to decide to make changes for changes sake. I think you just make changes based on the, the players you see in training and how well they're playing, not just because it's different to what Kenny Jacket did. So yeah, that's, that's my answer to that one. All right, moving on now. We spoke to Tom from the Gascast to preview the game against Bristol Rovers. You know, just to put this in perspective, Pompey fans, if you're a bit dismayed about how we're performing at the moment, try and be a Bristol Rovers fan, but pretty much relegated. Doesn't mean that Pompey aren't going to, doesn't mean Pompey going to pick up three points against them, of course, but it's a really good chat here with Tom from the Bristol Rovers Gascast. All right, I'm here with Tom from the Gascast and Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me on. No, it's awesome. And uh, it's interesting time at Bristol Rovers, obviously. You know, you guys have been struggling a bit. And the last time we had one of you guys on the show, Joey Barton had just taken over as manager as the foot point. It was one of those things that you couldn't have done much worse than the last manager you had, I think was the feeling at the time uh, around the club. But how are you guys feeling now with Joey Barton in general? He's he's a bit of a Marmite character still, um, just because he's he's come in, he's, he's buttered up the fans really well. He's really got gas heads on side. Ultimately, the results haven't been there. So some people are kind of, um, well, obviously not very happy with the results. I don't think anyone is. But there's a bit of a divide in that some people are thinking, you know, he's, he's shown he's not up to it, essentially, uh, with the results we've had. And then the others are, you know, he's he's a new broom coming to sweep away all the malaise at the club. You know, he's, he's spoken about a cancer at the heart of the club. He said that previous managers like Paul Tisdale and Ben Garner were, would be struck off for um, negligence if they were doctors. So, you know, he's, he's been 
putting it about a bit, but ultimately the results haven't been there to be able to, you know, start really going in on your on your predecessors like that. So what, last time out when uh, when obviously we we last chatted to be Max from from the Gascast came on to preview the Portsmouth game last time out against uh, against you, and we predicted it'd be a Portsmouth win, and we thought the styles of play would match up quite nicely. And that obviously worked out extremely well as uh, you walked away with a 3-1 win. But then I think you had, I think it was one win in the next five games after that. I mean, for, for Pompey fans, the last thing we saw of Bristol Rovers was a fairly convincing victory. What's gone wrong since then that's kind of left you on the precipice a little bit going into Saturday? So we tend to kind of up our game against the better teams, um, I think. The Pompey game is one of those ones where we'll look back and say, do you know what, on that night it clicked. A younger just come into the side after kind of being frozen out under Tisdale, got a brace that night and was was excellent. And, you know, it was a pointed um, remark from Tommy Widrington that night saying, you know, there's, there's enough goals in this squad to, you know, make sure that we stay up, which there isn't. So, you know, that aside, it's the the... The rest of the teams that we've had to play, we haven't played nearly well enough. Um, and especially against the teams around us, you know, your Swindons, your Wiggins, your Northamptons, um, your Rochdales, you know, we've we've either lost or drawn against kind of all of them in big games. But it's generally what's really killed us is a lack of goals. Um, we've, we haven't scored nearly enough goals. Um, we've got a, at least one defensive mistake in us a game so we're already up against it from that front but it's it's goals it's just goals 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 we lost jch in the summer obviously he's, he's gone to posh and he's absolutely smashing it but we we didn't replace him adequately and and that's essentially what's what's cost us so you mentioned about goals and we've been talking a little bit on on the podcast about john marquis and how he's not scoring as many goals as his expected goals are in fact he's, he's quite down in the rankings as far as league one goes one player that really sprung to mind from your side is um is brandon hanlan who as far as i've seen in every sort of analytics sort of chart has been right up there with underperforming his expected goals is he one of those players who who really just takes three chances to score a goal that he should get one or is that is that the main reason for your lack of more goals? more than three more than three um, yeah. yeah he's he's been one that's been profligate I think is the word in front of goal just horrendously so and I think last night again was an example it it dropped to him in the six yard box and anywhere but the keeper and he's put it straight in his arms and you're just like oh I mean the 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 whole kind of XG stats I mean Joey Barton was saying a few weeks ago we're tracking below our expected goals and above our expected um concedes and I can I can see why because when we do get chances we can't we can't take them we can create and especially at the start of the season you know we've got players like Zane Westbrook and Oz Toomer in the side and you think they're going to create and then we just cannot finish and I think Hamlin's probably one of the ones that from the fans perspective gets a lot of heat for that um he's been leading the line he's been playing the most um he just cannot finish he's got eight goals I think this season a few of those from the penalty spot but ultimately he needs to be a hell of a lot more more clinical there was talk of us signing match I think in the summer and it's one of those players that I was thinking in the system that we play which we used to be a, a real one up front sort of jobby that he's not really suited to that he's more of a wide attacking forwards and if he's been played up front and 
asked to spearhead the attack. Do you think that's why he's he's lacking those goals? Absolutely, yeah. He was brought in as that JCH replacement and JCH was the focal point of our entire team. We were JCH United for, you know, six or so months. Up front on his own, he, he can play that role. He can hold it up. He's he's quick. He's got good feet. But as the season went on, he got worse and worse at it. It's not his natural style. And, he, you know, he's been carrying a hamstring injury for God knows how long, but successive managers have said, no, you're the main man. He's the number nine. You should be leading the line. And like you said, when he's out wide, um, up against like a one-on-one with a defender, he's he's got the skill, he's got the pace to get round someone. And he's he's won a few penalties doing that this season. I think that's more his natural position. And if, if he was playing that position and he had eight goals this season, you'd kind of be like, yeah, all right, yeah, that's decent. And he's only, what, 22? You know, he's a young and he's coming on, but as the main man, you're losing so many goals in JCH for him to step into those shoes. It was, yeah, just doomed for failure, I think. Is um, is he a player that you think you're likely to keep if if we're being realistic? Obviously, you're, you're now likely to go down. I think you're, what, not, is it nine points from safety with three games left and seven goal difference worse than Wigan, who are the only team you can overhaul. Like, Are, are these players that you're likely to be able to hold on to, do you think? Or or would there be a major overhaul over the summer? So Joey in his post-match yesterday said there was only three or four that he wants to keep in the summer, which is massive, you know, that's massive. But we signed most of these players last summer on two and a half or, or longer deals. So what he's going to actually, what he wants to do and what he's going to be able to do are going to be, I think, two wildly different things. Um, it, he definitely, definitely wants to do a clear out, but yeah, I just can't, I can't see it. And looking at the players who have stood out from our team, um, I probably wouldn't say Brandon's one of them. Um, someone might take a punt on him and we might, you know, be able to, if we're looking to offload him, we might be able to get rid of him. But I'd say out of the team, I'd say Luke Lee, he's really high up on that list, you know, 10 goals um, from left back, out of contract, you know, there's there's players ahead of him in that kind of uh, pecking order that are going to be available in the summer. Um, I can I can see Brandon Hanlon being here next season. Uh, Luke Lee is also the player, Andy, that if we had playing left back, I think we could have potentially not lost the last two games. And we'll come on to that, obviously, when we talk about it. But he's obviously a danger uh, on the left-hand side. He plays more of a wing-back role, doesn't he? Because you, you play three at the back. And I was looking at, at defenders you've got as well. I know Pompey will be, especially if you don't get promoted, looking to clear out a lot of players that we have as well. And you've got players at the back, though, that you people know. I mean, I'm not really ever being a fan of like Jack Baldwin, for for instance, at the, at the back. He can pass the ball out, but I, I, do, I am always worried there's a mistake in him as well. Have you seen that with Jack? Has he been able to play the ball out like, like, like advertised from Sunderland? And has he got that mistake in him? Yes, yes, he very much has. Uh, we played against Northampton away, must-win game. Luckily, he scores. You know, we're thinking this is where we're going to drag ourselves up. And Jack Baldwin drags their man down after making some kind of hospital attempted clearance. And it's one all, and we go on to draw that game, but we could have easily lost it. Um, it kind of stems back to the summer recruitment. So Ben Garner signed quite a lot of players like that. Kean Harris is another one where they're ball players and they're composed. And the whole idea is to pick up players a bit younger, 
that can play really nice football and you know either they push us up the league or we sell them on and you know do a what everyone wants to do do a posh and just keep selling and selling and selling but it just hasn't worked out and I think one of the main issues for me is that defensive frailty we lost uh what we released Tony Craig um hugely experienced uh he went to Crawley and we we replaced him with Max Aimer and it just meant that we didn't have that kind of real leadership uh in the back line and it meant that these mistakes do creep in and they've been killing us this season just individual mistakes like I said earlier you know we always give a goal away at least one and I think Baldwin's been one of the the main culprits of that unfortunately I mean no one's been immune I mean Alf Kilgore, uh, Gasser, Bristol Bourne and Bread's been the same, but he's another young one. Luke Lee, he's another one. You know, it comes from all over, but I think it is that lack of, again, the recruitment was off from, from the summer and we just haven't got that strong head, that older head to kind of really marshal, marshal the young ones. Just to go in between the, the depressingness of your Bristol Rovers down for yourself, Tom, I just want to say that I, I'm actually really personally disappointed that if Bristol Rovers go down, I love a tear up at Stokescroft um, and I'm not going to be able to get down to Blue Man's Mountain with an excuse that I'm going to watch the football uh, if you guys come down and probably some tiny little northern town are going to come up, which is going to be absolutely naff. Um, do, you, what, do you go out much in Bristol, Tom, just out of interest? And where whereabouts would you go when I go over there? Uh, I'm, I'm not much of a, a nightclub man. I go to one nightclub. Uh, which is La Rocca on the Triangle, um, which is just pure cheese. Basically, my my Saturday routine is pub, rovers, sporty for the late kickoff and a pizza, Weatherspoons to get really tanked up, then into La Rocca singing Share Believe, basically, till I fall over. Nice one. I like that. I'm just quickly moving on from my rubbish <laughs> talk about Bristol nightclubs, which I just had to get out there. Probably after drinking too much coffee. I was looking at the formation. You guys are going to a 3-4-3 formation. Is that... <laughs> Andy's just looking at me like, what the hell are you on about? <laughs> looking at the 3-4-3 formation. Um, does that end up being a five at the back or, or is that more of a true 3-4-3? Three, three, three? Um, so <laughs> it's been a bit mix and, mix and match. Obviously with the different managers coming in we've played so many different systems and even with under Barton we've played a lot of different systems last night it was a pure free for free normally I'd say it's three with wing backs um with Williams uh, on the right George Williams from MK that we signed in January and then Leahy on the left so I have no idea what he'll play on Saturday I mean it's it's really up in the air because injuries um has been a Everyone's relegation, uh, everyone's relegation season has like injuries that, like, if that hadn't happened, you know, we've had a few of those. And just now, Barton, now we're kind of we are relegated. I mean, mathematically, there's still what a 0.5% chance or whatever, but we're, we're down. Um, yeah, we're dead and buried. So now might be a chance where Barton will kind of shake it up. He's he's said about the changing room being no one really getting angry after after last night and he was just like do you know what we got three games these players have all got a chance now to show me why they should be here next season essentially so I can I can imagine he might change it up a bit which you know may or may not help you I don't know it's it's we we can't seem to perform either way so not sure 
I mean, on the, on the note of the whole cultural side of Bristol, if that's the right word from where Hugh's coming from, I think I need to give a shout out to the Athenian as well, which just does the best halloumi fries I have ever had. It's out of like some sort of, I don't know what the right word is, like a container. It's like a set of containers, right? Somewhere in Bristol. And it's literally the best halloumi fries I've ever eaten. So yeah, big shout out to the Athenian. Um, and I guess on a more football podcast related note, um, yeah, you mentioned there that things are going to be mixed up a bit. I mean, you're, for me, you're like surprisingly upbeat. Like you're obviously like you're on camera, obviously you're smiling, you're fairly chatty about this whole situation. There's like obviously quite a lot of good feeling there. But in terms of how that is around the club at the moment, you know, being relegated from League One in all seriousness, it's it's a big blow. It's got to be. In, in the feeling of how that is around the club, is it a case of, if you go a goal down, do you expect heads to drop because it's just that old habits die hard over the season? Or is there a case of, you know what, screw it, it's three games left, we go a goal down, we just push harder and go forward more? What's your expectations in that in that respect? So, yeah, mentality is a big one for us, I think, um, all through the season. I think if we do go 1-0 down, generally, we haven't got the goals in us to kind of get ourselves back into it. We went 1-0 down against you guys, actually, Marquis, and then came back. But that's one of the few, I'd say. Um, and as things have kind of progressed through the season, it's it's got worse. From a kind of fan's point of view, it's a bit of a weird one because obviously everyone feels a bit more detached from the from the team at the minute because we're only seeing them on iFollow and that. And for Rovers, this has been kind of brewing for so long. I kind of accepted it a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, now it's happened. It's just... Uh, it's it's there. I'm, I'm not going to get too upset about it because, you know, it is what it is, but it's, it's how you, how you react in these situations. That's the way I'm going to, going to look at it. And I'm really hoping that um, Barton can get him going essentially. Cause he, he's got all the, all the chat you listen to his uh, interviews. He's, he's got all that and you can imagine he's a, a motivator, but he's, he's very hamstrung by the, uh, the players he's got at his disposal at the minute. I thought you guys were quite quick up front when you played against us and we really struggled with that ball, like that direct ball almost forward. I mean, we spoke before about, you know, trying to pass it out the back of, you know, that system that didn't quite work. But for you, for me, I thought you guys did well and you went long to the to the quick players you had up front and you really caused our slightly sluggish centre-backs like Sean Raggett a lot of trouble when the ball was sort of hung over the top of his head, etc., is Barton changing that or, or, or is he going to be able to, to look at the team against Pompey and think that worked last time, let's do it again? Yeah, it's, we do. One of the reasons we change is sometimes to obviously accommodate the opposite, opposition team. When we, when we played against uh, Sunderland, we did this incredible formation that some people thought it looked like a honeycomb. Other people looked like a double diamond, we called it. Um, so I can imagine, yeah, it worked against you last time and we've got those players available with Ayunga and Hanlon and generally against MK, we tried to isolate their bigger centre-backs against our quicker forwards and our bigger forwards against their smaller centre-backs. So there's definitely, I hope tomorrow uh, on Saturday, going to be that kind of trying to make those mismatches. And yeah, both our forwards have got bags of pace. And we've got um, Zane Walker, who's been kind of thrust into the side, the youngster, he's only 19. He's got bags of pace and actually quite a lot of skill as well. But he's he's young. He hasn't scored for Rovers at all yet. But 
he got a start. He's been playing on and off. So it might be potentially that we go, last night we started with pretty much three up front. So it might be that we go with that and try and, yeah, mismatch with the pace and, and go long. So for Pompey fans who maybe haven't haven't seen Bristol play, or Bristol Rovers, I should say, play since, uh, I know, sorry, that was almost a slip of the tongue there. Team Bristol Rovers play since, um, since we last lined up against you. Where are you likely to be most dangerous? Is it that pace going forward, exploiting, as Hugh says, potentially a sluggish centre-back pairing, or or where are we most likely to see you be dangerous? Yeah, I think going going forward, going long, hitting Iunga and looking to, to go off him, I thought against you guys, that's his, easily his best performance in a Rovers shirt. So if you can kind of come anywhere near to that, It'll be absolutely fantastic. I wouldn't expect anything to be played through the middle. Um, we've lost Sam Nicholson to a long-term injury, who was our kind of key man in there. Westbrook's been in and out of form. Oztum has been ineffective, and that's devastating because I think as anyone, any League One fan or any League Two fan as well, seeing Oztum play, it's just normally a joy. And I always, he always stands out because he's tiny, but he also always stands out because he's amazing. But he's he's been an utter utter flop at Rovers, so we're kind of down to the bare bones with, with injuries to players like Ed Upson. We've got Martinez who's come into the midfield um, as a kind of stopgap, another youngster. He's done a, a cracking job, and it's usually him and and uh, Luke McCormick on loan from Chelsea. But yeah, again, we're down to the very bare bones. So I I would expect it to be long, and you know we've got the players at the back to be able to deliver. You know. We're talking right at the start about your, your Jack Baldwin's, Keen Harry's, Lee. He's good at hitting his target as well. So I think it worked last time. I'd, I'd, I'd be amazed if we deviated from that. I'm going to just do a little snap thing here. So if you could take Oztumer or Carl Bennett, who are you taking now? Oh, Jesus Christ. You warned us about Bennett as well. You <laughs> warned us. And... <laughs> And it, it played out exactly. He did the same when he went on loan to Swindon as well. Um, oh, that's a really... I'd I take Oztuma just because I love him. Just I, just I just love seeing someone that small running around on a pitch. It just gives hope to everyone. <laughs> Note to Carl Bennett, that's what, that's what pipped it for him. That's his small <laughs> runs around. It was just height. That's all it was. <laughs> Carl Bennett's hardly tall either, is he? So no, he's not. That's a right slap in the face to him. <laughs> Um, all right. I mean, let's let's get to the let's get to the juicy bit here. And uh, the game against Pompey, who are in quite bad form, Tom. Do you, do you not expect yourselves to pick up a win here? What is your score prediction for the game on Saturday? I'm. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's a weird one because we're in such a state of flux, and obviously you guys are in rubbish form. I'm. I'm gonna just go like a yeah neutral one all draw. I just can't call it. I'm just going to sit on the fence there. <laughs> that would be rubbish for both both of us, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it well, we, nothing helps us now. So <laughs> we're playing for pride at this point. They're people playing for their position, aren't they? In the squad rule, I suppose. It's got to be the thing. Or playing for get, to get someone else to uh, turn their head or something like that. Yeah, they should have been doing that last night and it didn't happen. So uh, I'm not holding out much hope for, for Saturday. All right, Tom. Well, do you know what? Maybe next time uh, I'm in Bristol, I'll, I'll check out that uh, that bar you've recommended and uh, me and Andy can get some glittery wigs on and go mental. 
<laughs> cheers going on the podcast mate it's appreciated no worries cheers Tom right, cheers dude this podcast is a proud member of the Fan Hub 100 football without fans is nothing so we've partnered with Fan Hub to put fans first search Fan Hub app to play your part in the journey thanks Tom for coming on the podcast and uh, Andy I like the way we were Talking quite a lot of serious football analysis through this podcast with our usual splash of uh, of nonsense. And I ended up going off kill and talking about nightclubs and Stokes Croft, which is in Bristol, if anyone didn't get the reference. To be honest, I think the, the two greatest loves in life are football and halloumi fries, so closely followed by alcohol. So if you don't cover all three of them on a podcast, I don't think you're really doing your job properly. But yeah, he's obviously a, yeah very knowledgeable, and but slightly worn down from, uh, from especially the second half of the season. But it, it does look like Saturday. I mean, it's, it's literally a must win and it's out of their hands. If we can get another point in the next three games, then uh, then they're down. So it does look like this could be sort of the final hurrah. We've just got to hope that, you know, without any sort of malice there, we've got to hope we are the team that kind of put the final nail in the coffin, I guess. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope it doesn't go like the Swindon when we could have done a similar thing to Swindon and... Uh... So condemning teams of relegation has not been not been our forte in the last game. But there is there is a something to be said, I suppose, with a team fighting for their lives. We're not Joey Barton's like, apart from making up a million excuses for why it's not his fault. He he will want the team to come out and and be combative in a game that could see him take a team down effectively, at least even for a selfish reason, for his own reputation. I'm sure he's going to want to get the team to get out there and and really fight for it. And as Tom said, and as we chatted about. They look good against us last time. And I know that was under Kenny Jacket, but their direct football, their attackers did really trouble us last time. They were quick, they're powerful. They got in behind. Lee Brown should be returning to the side, hopefully. He was he was doubtful for Tuesday, but it was a possibility from the from the Monday press conference that he could have made it into the side. Lee, if only you had made it into the side, mate, we might have still be in the playoffs. Just to put that out there. Why aren't you fit, mate? But yeah, Lee Brown returning to the side should give the team a bit more of an actual balance. So hopefully him on the left-hand side, Johnson on the right-hand side, all the things we talked about already. I hope that gives the team a bit more natural balance. We've got to turn up and get a result against a team who are nowhere near as good as us across the squad. There's no excuses in this game because Bristol Rovers are a shattered team confidence-wise as well as not being good enough. The defenders need to come away with a clean sheet, hopefully, and we need to get a couple of goals. John Marquis needs to put his finger out and start shooting and, and getting goals because that's what he's paid to do. That's the bottom line of it. If you're a striker who doesn't score goals, you're useless if you're not setting anyone up either. I, I genuinely think that you need to score some goals, John. And You know, Andy thinks I'm being harsh. I can see him. He's doing that. He's waiting to say what I'm saying. But John Marquis, play, if he plays up front, needs to get a goal against a team that do, as Tom says, gift one goal every game. Now's your time, John. Get that goal on a plate, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can see from the look on my face, I'm I'm backing Marquis to, to make an impact this weekend. I think that I, I completely agree with the sentiment, a striker that doesn't score goals. It's like, I don't know, it's like a dog that doesn't bark. Like, what's the point? Like, <laughs> to be honest. But at the same time, you made a comment there about assists, right? Like, he, to, be, to be fair, he did you know, create the, the assist game, for it? our last game. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's not it's not as if he's a complete passenger here, but it, it's hard to defend the 
the chances that haven't been converted. I think you, you made a comment there about, you know, we're playing against a team who are shot on confidence and, and down and out. But you look at teams we played against recently or in, in the relatively recent past, we just lost uh, 3-1 to Swindon, who had lost, what, five in a row before that game, down on confidence, down and out. We lost 1-0 to MK Dons. They had one point from the three games before they played us. We drew 0-0 with Crew, who lost 6-0 the game before they played us. We lost to Peterborough recently, who had one point from the three games before they played us. Teams coming into a game with us, low on confidence, means nothing. We've struggled against teams who are coming in on the back of poor poor runs. So, I, yeah, that, that's my slight concern in terms of having... You know, Bristol Rovers and Wimbledon is two of our last four games, and they're teams that aren't potentially in great fit, great form. But Wimbledon, especially, are really fighting for something. So I'd I'd probably be weirdly more confident playing against Accrington Stanley in mid-table, who are potentially coming in in slightly better nick, than against teams who are coming in in poor runs of form, just purely based on our last last sort of six, ten ga- six to eight games. Well, Swindon were just boring. The fact that Sheridan had finally. Slug his hook, weren't they? I suppose you could you could say that. And crew came off a criminal. I think it was one of their biggest losses or whatever. So there were two big events before those games. So it wasn't just that they were on bad form and we were in the middle of that bad form sort of situation. There were some, and I'm not making excuses too much, but I, I've got to say that it's not like they've just dribbled into this form and you know there have been reasons to get motivated. That's not an excuse for this team not to beat them, but it's a bit of a different situation at Bristol Rovers who are a team that have had the new manager change. He's made absolutely no difference. And I don't really think that that same level of excuse is going to fly in this situation. No, I agree. I mean, well, I don't completely agree. I think that the crew example, I don't particularly agree with. I don't think you can say that, you know, it was a excusable result or a more understandable result because they were, you know, they'd come off the back of a 6-0 defeat and were therefore, you know, had a point to prove. I, I, Yeah, otherwise you could just make a rationale for any team in any situation. Like whether they're coming from a win, a draw or a loss, you could come up with exactly sort of the same sort of rationale. But yeah, I, I'm hopeful for I'm a win. I'm clutching at straws, Andy, here, aren't I? I'm clutching at straws, trying to end the positive the podcast on a slightly more positive <laughs> note. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm clutching at straws. Fair enough. I take your point on that one. Let's get into score prediction time, mate. I'm going to let you go first. Obviously, Tom's gone for a 1-1 draw. I didn't press him on the goal scorer. Um, I don't think he's going to think it's Jack Baldwin. What is your score prediction for the game against Bristol Rovers? Yeah, I was a bit sad when Tom went for one all because that was going to be my shout and I can't possibly go for the same result as him um, because that's just not interesting. So I'll I'll go with a 2-1 Pompey win because... I just think both sides have got a number of defensive mistakes in them. If Pompey can score early, I think it could be 3-1 or 3-0. But I'll go with sort of an edgy, low-confidence 2-1 win scrape, I think. Uh, How about you, man? Maybe it's because I'm being delusional. I've been working many hours this week, but I'm going to go for a 3-1 Pompey win. I, I don't rate Bristol Rovers, and I know that we played them and I said that before, and I was really confident on the podcast. And me, you, and the gas cast, I all thought it was it was going to be a Pompey win. But no, with Lee Brown back in the side and just a bit more balance in the squad, 
after getting it rubbed in our faces by Brett Pittman. I, I really want the team to come out with a reaction against Bristol Rovers. And there is no reason why we shouldn't come out and beat Bristol Rovers. So we've seen the team can play well in the first four games of the Cowleys reign. We've had a, a, another four game blip. I'm really hoping now that the team can rally behind them and get a win, whether or not this takes us towards the playoffs or not. I want the team to rally now and stop the rot, get a good win against Bristol Rovers. They don't score a lot of goals. I'll give them one. Um, but I think we should be able to come and they will have to come at us if we score early. They, you know, they have to stay up. So they'll have to win the game. I think that they'll come at us more, open up, and hopefully we can hit them a bit more on a fast-moving counter even then on, on, on pace-wise. I'm going to go for two goals for Ronan Curtis and one goal for Marcus Harness for a 3-1 Pompey win. Still no Marquis goal from you. I just don't see him scoring. It's hard to it's hard to put back him at the moment to get a goal. I'm going to have him scoring one of mine just to sort of play devil's advocate. Go on, Andy. Go on. <laughs> Andy, it's been great having you on the podcast as always, mate. Uh, always a pleasure. Nice to have a little a little laugh after a crappy week of football. Yeah. All right. And until next time, play up on. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!